Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So there's a running joke about me with my friends. And if you know anything about me uh, or have seen me before, you're going to pick up on this pretty quickly. My mind is always going. I have, I don't know what's inside of my dome, but I'm always constantly processing and thinking way too many things. Ask my wife. It's the thing she loves most about me. Totally kidding. It drives her nuts. Because I am present in the room, but at the same time, I'm already thinking of the 250 details that need to be taken care of. And so my mind is never really here. It's always here plus one. So when I'm thinking through my day, I'm thinking like, okay, hey, it's a good morning. Now I got to do these five things. I got to call this person. We get this done to do my bills all the time. Overactive mind. Uh, It makes me brilliant and an idiot at the same time. (laughs) So there's a tension that starts to happen then when you have a mind like mine. And one thing, it's good because here I can process a lot of information and I remember a lot of things and details that need to happen. The bad thing that happens is I'm not always truly present. So if you ever walk through our local Piggly Wiggly and you see me and you wave and I just keep walking by, it's not that I don't like you. I'm thinking of the seven things I've got to get right on my shopping list, and then I've got to go to Menards, and then I've got to pick up my son, and I'm just always processing. And I've had this problem in my whole pastorate time because when we'd walk through a store, like, Pastor, I saw you didn't say anything. You are a total jerk. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I totally didn't see you. So if you see me, like, head down on mission, that's what's going on. Sometimes it even happens here at church. So like if I'm running around or I've got to get a couple of things done, you're like, oh, hey, and like, I go right by. It's not you, it's me, okay? It's not you, it's me. Here's the other major problem with this sort of brain activity. I lose everything. I, I, <laughs> I will literally put down a cup of coffee and 30 seconds later say, where did I put my coffee? And I go on this frantic scramble to try to find my coffee. And then, oh, where are my keys? Where's my wallet? And I I put stuff down because I'm not thinking about, I should remember where I put my coffee. I'm doing something over here, and then I forget that this is here. So all of my friends, all the laughter is that you've seen me do this over and over and over again. And then the miracle product was made. Air tags. Apple created air tags. Air tags are these, if, if this is new to you, It's a small little device that you can see on the screen, and you can slip it into your wallet, put it on your keychain, and this little device now has a beacon and works Bluetooth to my phone, which now gives me an arrow. It drives me right to, oh, there's my wallet. Uh, Why would I put my wallet in the refrigerator, right? (laughs) This AirTag thing has literally saved me so much pain because now I'm always losing these simple everyday things. Now I just air take. Now there's not an air take in my coffee, so I'm out of luck with that one, but for the majors, right? Because when you lose something, there is absolute terror that happens. You've all lost something before. 
We all have. And that feeling of terror when you lose your wallet or your purse or your keys. You lose your wallet, right? You got money in it, you've got your information, you've got your driver's license. Now you're worried about getting into fraud. Did I leave it at the store? Literally, I just called restaurants. I couldn't find my sunglasses. So I'm calling and I'm backtracking everywhere. And here it is, literally, it's just sitting in my basement. Why I had my sunglasses in my basement beyond me. But, but that terror feeling of when you lost something, and even more so if it's a thing of value. Something that has high value. When you lose that thing of value, you get this gripping, terrible feeling in your stomach of dread and fear. I know you can relate to that. This is my everyday occurrence. So if you hate that feeling, I did it every day. Like, where did I put these things? Air tags have saved me so many of those issues because it takes me right to it. And those air tags on my equipment and on my wallet and my keys and on my headphones and everywhere I stick it, are only good if I have my phone. So if I lose my phone, I'm toast again. Now I lost my phone and the item at the same time. Which is a real problem when you put your phone on silent because it doesn't ring. So yeah, I've, I've had that so many times. So here's, here's the issue that we come into. Losing something hurts. It's, it's hard. There is a weird feeling of dread and a weird feeling of loss, a weird feeling of inconvenience. If you can't find your keys, but you've got to get your child to school on time, or you've got to get to work, but you can't find your keys. And then think about what your mind starts doing. Your mind starts blaming, right? Why can't I find my keys? Oh, obviously someone took them because I would have hung them up on the keychain. That is someone in my family's fault, or and really it's all your fault because that's in the icebox or something, right? But we get this feeling of dread and fear. And when there's something of high value to that, it ups the ante. And we've all had that feeling. And in the scriptures, we're going to explore a passage and a term, lost people. Lost people. In the Bible, it talks about people who are lost. And what does that really mean? Because it's an offensive term if you are that person. I'm saying you are a lost person person, you're like, I'm not lost, I'm right here. I don't know what you're talking about. But the Bible talks about a kingdom principle called lost people and describes people as lost. So let me go back words to help you understand what this means. In the book of Genesis, we see the origin of humanity. God creates. God creates, and then we bring sin into the world by disobedience by God. That disobedience or action of sin which is the opposite of God's way, separates humanity from God. Before that, humans and God lived and, and were together in relationship. Now we're split. And when that split happens, something drastic happens. We start to decay. We as humans are now riddled with this sin, and it's breaking us down. You can feel that, right? You understand this because now death has entered into our lives. And so humanity now is split from God. We're not where we're supposed to be. We're not with who we were created for. And now we have this separation between God and humanity. And, but God had an answer for this. God had an answer, which is this. Your sins must be atoned for. So your disobedience, somebody has to pay for it because God is a just God. And you can't pay for it on your own. You can't be good enough, religious enough, church enough, give enough, love enough to earn your way back. It has to be an act of one who is blameless, and that blamelessness was Jesus Christ. So God sends his son to take the punishment for humanity 
so that we can now have a relationship with God. There's a bridge, okay? This bridge now is God is on mission to bring the people who are not with God back to the family, and he uses the term lost. It means that you are on a journey of life that's separate from God, and you're still in the same, same state that you started in. You are separated from God. And Jesus says this, if you accept that I'm the one who saved you, all you have to do is take this free gift of salvation. That's it. Now you go from lost to found. So when someone is lost, it's someone who has never accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and those who are found are terms that God has brought you back to the family. So lost and found. Okay. So there's these terminologies here that make it clear for us. Because as a church family, we say two things about Mosaic. One, we are here to reach lost, broken, hurting people. So our mission is that of God's. It's just to find and help bring the gospel to lost people. And secondly, on top of that, make disciples that replicate and make more disciples. Because then the more disciples there are of Jesus, there's more people helping find the lost people, for bringing them from death to life. So that is the overarching of what lost means. Jesus himself says it clearly in Luke 19.10. He says this, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That is God's purpose here, is to find and save lost people. Now, I don't have an air tag on me, and neither do you. And, but God is everywhere. And God knows exactly where we are in our journey, and he knows of all the terrible, terrible things that you have done and all the terrible, terrible things you're about to do when you leave church today. And he still loves you right where you are. That is a big difference if you have a church environment. If you grew up in the church, depending on your background again, if you grew up in the church, there it can be, we call them camps, okay? There's terminologies, a lot of time in some church environments, we look at us versus them. I am found, you are lost, I'm in, you're out. I'm good, you're bad. God loves me, he's not really fond of you. You have to do all the things we tell you to do, dress the way we dress, talk the way we talk, eat the way we eat, do all of our culture, and then maybe we'll accept you into the family, okay? Us and them. We are in, they are out. Now, what we just defined, there is truth. There's a difference between us in groups. But what we're going to explore today through the word of God is that the word of God makes it clear God really, really loves lost people. He loves, loves with, with no abandon. He just is all after lost, broken people. He loves his family. He loves those who accepted Christ, but he's willing to leave you to go get them because he loves them because he came to seek and save the lost. Why this is dangerous when we say us and them. In the church world, so when I use that word, I'm talking about American Christianity. We use that terminology. American Christianity has our own version of how to live. We have our own t-shirts. We have our own mugs. We have our own coffee. We have our own bumper stickers. Uh, you know, we, we blend everything into a way of living or culture that leaves people on the outside if you don't agree with culture. But Jesus never said that. This is about the eternal state of our souls. And so I want to speak 
to people in here who've been in that experience. If you've been in an experience where a Christian or somebody treated you poorly because you didn't believe what they believed, you disagreed on something, maybe today you don't know the Lord, like I don't know what you're talking about, I'm exploring that today, or at one time in your life, and you felt like you were an outsider being looked at, pointed at, judged, told how terrible you are, I want to say that's not the word of God. That's weird American Christian culture, which you see I'm obviously not very fond of. I want to have a culture that's scriptural and biblical, which is this. God is so impassioned with lost people. And so if your experience, if you had a negative us, them, different camps, you're going to hear a message today from Jesus where he's like, "Uh, I want you to hear something. To the people who know me, I say you should be out trying to find lost people too. That's your job. There is no pointing fingers. There's only love and reckless abandon to finding lost people to let them know that God loves them unconditionally. That's our job as believers. And our job as believers is to bring you to truth, not to American Christian culture, but to bring you to the word of God. And American culture is always changing. American Christian culture is always changing. I read an article this last week. Barna is this large study group that does studies within Christianity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something shocking that maybe it doesn't shock you. American pastors, American pastors, only 30% of American pastors surveyed have a biblical worldview, which means this. A, a worldview is high, a biblical worldview. I take all of the things that happen in my life, I look at every circumstance through the lens of Scripture and apply it through the Word of God into truth. The word of God is truth, the ultimate truth, the ultimate authority. So I take my word through there and then apply it into our current situations that are happening in our culture. It doesn't change, but things in our culture change. But I have to use the word of God as the anchor of truth. 30% of pastors believe that. 70% think some of it's true and then culture is also right in other areas. And so culture is always shifting. The way we think is always changing. So we say this. We are a biblical worldview church, and we are going to relentlessly study the scriptures to see how God treats and loves people, and that's what we are going to do. If we miss it, we're going to ask for forgiveness and go back to the word of God and try to figure it out, because that's all I got. I'm not smart enough. Obviously, I lose my keys and put my wall in my refrigerator. I'm not smart enough to give you a different version of God, nor should I. The word of God is what we have. That's why we handed out those Bibles today, friends. That is truth, okay? So I want to go to the Bible to look at how God feels about lost people. We're going to be in Luke 15, verses 1 to 10. We have two parables here. Um, If you're looking on your Bible or Bible apps, Luke 15, 1 to 10. uh, Jesus is giving several parables at the same time. And I want you to take note of what's happening because, again, let's immerse ourselves into the story of what's happening Luke 15, 1 to 10. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Think about that for a second. Pause. They're all gathered around. All these lost, really jacked up people, messed up, hurting, broken people are gathering, listening to him talk about God. Unbelievable. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country to go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. 
Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. I tell you in the same way, there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. He tells another story. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. We look at this passage, we begin with Jesus' teaching, but this crowd is not what you'd expect from a Jewish rabbi. A Jewish rabbi is going to teach the people who are all convinced and want to learn more about the things of God. And this rock star Jesus that Nick has been talking about, he's gaining in this popularity, everybody's coming to listen to him. And a whole big crowd of people, we don't know how many are there, are all completely far from God. The term tax collector was a negative terminology in which a Jewish person would sell himself out, was swindling people working for, the, the, for Rome, and they would swindle their own people and steal and rob from them, have false accounts and do all this, and so they were absolutely despised, and then you've got sinners. The majority of, if we're honest, as American Christians, we don't really want these people in our Sunday morning church. And I'm going to be honest with my friends who are not in the church world. They don't want to come. Maybe you can understand that. Maybe, you, maybe that's part of where you're at today. Or your friends are the same way. Because we have us and them. Jesus didn't have an us and them. He had a we. And so we look into this passage. Who is here? Think about it. There's thieves. Somebody's pickpocketing somebody. Right? There's thieves sitting in there. You have people who are Jewish, but were not following God. So they're going against their culture. You'd have prostitutes, you'd have murderers, you'd have adulterers, you'd have people just that night before doing heinous crimes, you'd have corrupt politicians sitting in the room. Let's go on with the list of people. These were the unworthy, shouldn't be around a teacher of God's word. They were undesirable. Yet everybody is circling around him to hear more of what he's teaching, and this is what's crazy. Who's complaining about the crowd? It's the religious people. Whoa, 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 Rabbi, Rabbi, pause for one second. Who does this dude think that he is talking to all these beneath us, scummy, gross people? These people should not be here. Look at him. Look at this Jesus. Let's go a step further. He welcomes them. It didn't say Jesus allowed them. He welcomes them. Now, in my terminology, people are coming around, hey, Jesus, and he's bumping fists, giving high fives, giving hugs. He's like, hey, good to see you. Glad you came. We're about to start the teaching in a few seconds, right? He's, well, hey, guys, come on in. Come in. You are more than welcome to sit. I want to share with you the truth of God's word. And he's welcoming. That is a strong word because welcome, this is the definition, received gladly into one's presence or companionship. Jesus was a friend of lost people. He welcomes them with joy. He isn't glaring at them like, he obviously didn't wear his Sunday best to church this week. He's not glaring at them saying, oh, I know everything. I know what you did a couple of minutes ago. He is welcoming these lost people in saying, no, come in, gather around. And the religious people are standing up high saying, look at them. They're not like us. 
We would never dare teach to these people. Who are they? They can't understand the things of God. These are not, this is not the way of the people. We want people who are convinced, who love us, who listen to our teachings. That's the people we bring into our churches. Let's fill all of our teaching time with everybody who loves God and keep all those gross people outside. I don't want them. Jesus flips the script again for the kingdom. If I'm honest with you, this makes me feel unbelievably good because I don't understand why I'm a pastor. I don't deserve it. I haven't earned it. He just called me. But more than pastor, what puts me on this stage right now is a calling God put in my life who took an ordinary man with just a normal guy who's made just as many mistakes as everybody in this room who said, Jason, I want you to make disciples that make disciples. And I said, no. <laughs> many times I have said, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to do those things. But this is something interesting that God has put in my heart since I've been a child. I've always felt comfortable around lost people and uncomfortable around church people. Since I've been a teenager, people have looked down on me because I was a teenager, because I wanted to wear jean shorts. Yes, those were cool back in the 90s, to church on Sunday. Because I wore my hat backwards. Because I didn't use all the right terminologies, but I had this passion in my heart for Jesus, but I didn't fit the culture. And Jesus said, I want to use you. In the same way, he says to all of us, I am here to seek and save the lost. And so here I'm a lost, broken human, saved simply because God loves me. Nothing special. And we're going to be obedient to that calling. Jesus welcomed me into his presence. He's welcoming this crowd of completely undesirables into his presence. Gladly. So Jesus starts talking, and he doesn't talk at broken, lost people. He doesn't have his, they didn't have the Bible, they had the scrolls. He's not pounding the scrolls on the podium, pointing fingers and saying this. He turns his attention and says, let me show you what love looks like. This is what I do. I've come here so that they can know the truth. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law saw us and them, and doesn't that sound familiar? We were just talking about us and them. Jesus talks about the we. So the parable goes. He says, think about this. A shepherd loses a sheep. He's in a really bad place. His employer is going to be really upset with him. And he cares for sheep. And shepherds at the time, that was like their animals. That was their pets almost in some sense. They lived with them constantly, taking care of them, protecting them. And a shepherd would give up its life. It would put itself in harm's way if there's an attack from an outside predator to save the sheep. And so the shepherd, let's say, wakes up in the morning and he, one, two, three, three, stop moving. One, two, three, four, stop moving. Okay, 99. Let me recount. 99. I'm missing one. And then dread comes in. Fear. What happened to that sheep? And that fear that we talk about when we lose something starts to grip this shepherd so much that he starts to look around, right? He's scrambling. And maybe he's got a sheep call like, and he starts coming, right? I don't know. So he starts trying to find the sheep, and he's looking around, and 99 are all sitting here just munching on the grass. 99 are safe. Okay, the 99 can hold for a second. I've got to find my sheep. And he starts running around looking. Is it the fall in a cavern? Did a wolf get it? Where is my sheep? And he finds the sheep who just was off on its own, munching on grass, way away. And he takes the sheep and he puts it over its back and carries it back with joy. 
He wasn't angry. He wasn't irritated. With joy, he brings his sheep back. And then it says, he starts calling neighbors and friends, like, you know, hey, Johnny, found my sheep. He's like, cool, dude, whatever, right? So <laughs> he comes back. He's so elated that his lost sheep was found that he is rejoicing in the same way how God rejoices when one person repents and goes from their life of darkness to the life of light. When one person, and he leaves the 99 to be okay for a few minutes. The sheep, when it's off on its own, is about to get attacked. It has no protection. Sheep, you've been around sheep, not the brightest animal in the world, nor is it the best at protecting itself. It's donezo, right? So the sheep on its own is defenseless. The sheep now that is found now has a protector, once again, is brought back into the family. And so he tells the teachers this. I could see him just staring at those teachers of the law. Uh, Let me tell you a story. This is how it is with the way of God. We want one. We'll do anything for one. But I'll tell you another story. He says, let me tell you about a woman who lost a coin. Now, for us, I mean, we don't even bend over to pick up Definitely not pennies, nickels, not really. Dimes are getting close, quarter. I need that for Aldi's. I need my Aldi card. I will bend over to pick up that quarter because I want to be the dude carrying the boxes through Aldi's all the time, right? So we don't really look at coins of value, but let's look at it from a Jewish perspective. This coin represented something a little bit bigger. There's a quote here from Craig Creener from the Bible commentary. It says this. The 10 silver coins are most likely the woman's dowry, the only money she brings into a marriage that is technically hers, even if the marriage is dissolved. That she has only 10 coins worth about 10 days of workers' wages suggests that her her father's family is not well-to-do. She would presumably have married into a household roughly equally poor because marriage into one's economic bracket was preferred. So you have a poor woman who is all she has to offer for wedding that this 10 coins represents more than just a coin. This is 10 days of labor. 10 days of labor that she's got to bring into the tradition of marriage. So she loses a coin, and now all chaos breaks loose. Let's say in our terminology, you lost a $100 bill, okay? Now, for you who are like, That's, I barely pick up a $100 bill. God bless you, mosaicwi.com slash giving. For me, a $100 bill is a lot a lot, a lot of money, and I knew I had it somewhere, I would frantically go through my house. And Jesus tells a story. She's sweeping. She's got lights out. She's tearing her house apart because not only is her money lost, you have the tension point of the wedding could be off. So she has so much at stake with this one simple coin. It meant everything to her. And so she is frantically freaking out, trying to find this coin, tearing her house apart. She finds it. And the same way, she takes the coin. She calls all of her friends. It's like, I found my coin. I found it. The wedding's on. Let's go. Bed, bath, beyond. You know, like they're, 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 she's, there's excitement. There's joy. There's jubilation for the thing that is found when it was lost. I get excited about a pair of sunglasses. And I'm like, hey, I found my sunglasses. My family, every day. I found it. Like, pfft. Yeah, what's new, Dad? You're going to lose something tomorrow. So the jubilation of what that feels, and when you found that lost thing that you've been looking for, you know that feeling I'm talking about. Relief. Pressure's off. Stress is down. Okay, phew, I did, I'm not losing my mind. I did find it. But when you've lost something that you have not found, it sticks with you. In approximately 1989, I was in my basement. We were skateboarding in my basement. 
And um, I didn't want to wreck my brand new Swatch watch. Now, if you know what a Swatch watch is, you know that you know that you know. If you don't know, you need to Google it because it's awesome. So I took my Swatch watch off. I can see it to this day. It was uh, 80s pink with gray with black bands, super cool. I traded with somebody in my youth group to get it, super excited. Took my Swatch watch off because I didn't want to fall and smash my Swatch. I put it down somewhere. You get the trend here, right? Put it down somewhere. I never found that Swatch. And to this day, every time I go to my mom's basement to look, I still look around to see if that Swatch watch is down there. That was in the 80s, and I can still remember the fear and terror, and it still bugs me, even though it doesn't probably work. Even if I found it, I want to know what happened to my Swatch watch in the 80s. Now let's put this in kingdom perspective. How much does God love his children that he has created in his image that he would go through anything to bring you back home? That he is willing to leave those who are found and say, I'm going to find the undesirables. I'm here for the lost. Lost people are the most important thing of Jesus' mission because he came to seek and save the lost. That is why he came. He came to find you. He came to find me. He came to find Slinger. He came to find Washington County. He came to find Wisconsin. He came to find America. He came to find the entire world. He came to find our enemies. He came to find Russia. He came to find North Korea. He came to find Iran and Iraq and all these tension points where we see us and them. Our mission is to find, to seek and save the lost, the same mission of Jesus Christ. That when one person repents, that there is a ruckus applause in heaven that God has done it again. That he is out all the time finding the sheep, finding the coin. And then we learn as Jesus leaves, he says, now I give you the same mission. Go find lost people. So friends, I say to you this. If you at any time in your faith walk See, people who are outside the place of God is undesirable. I'm going to challenge you to reread the Bible. Because though we don't agree with actions, we don't have to agree with somebody to love them. Unfortunately, in our culture in 2022, that is the statement over everything. If you don't agree with me, you cannot love me. That is not biblical. That's stupid. Somebody made that up. What is truth? I can disagree with you, but I will love you you. We don't have to agree on everything. Nick and I don't agree on a bunch of stuff. A lot of things. Well, a few things. We don't have to agree, but I love him. My wife and I don't agree, but I love her. My children and I don't agree, but I love them. What is the most important thing to do? Love first. The gospel changes everything. So we don't have to agree to love. And in my circle of friends who are lost people who are not in the people of God. I don't agree with some things they're doing. I don't agree with some of their choices, but I love them and I walk with them and I talk with them for the same purpose. I want that one coin to be found. I want the kingdom of heaven to have a ruckus applause, not because of my life, but because Jesus Christ has saved another. And that is one of my prayers as I do ministry. I say this to God, hey God, do it again. We just sang it. Hey, God, do it again. Save another one. Do your work, God. Open their hearts that they can understand they've gone from lost to found. Lord, let another one into your kingdom. 
Another sheep, another coin. You came for it, and that's our purpose too. So my challenge to us this morning, as I shared with you unapologetically, this is what we do at Mosaic. I've got to ask you this question. Do you even have friends in this circle of influence that Jesus is trying to save? If you're a believer, have you surrounded yourself with everyone who agrees with you and has the same views as you? Maybe even within Christianity, like there's different groups of Christianity. You know, we've got our Catholic friends, our Lutheran friends, our Baptist friends, our, our Methodist friends, our non-denomination. We have all these people, but I don't want to be with anybody who doesn't agree with me. So I, I circle my wagons and say, I'm here, and I definitely don't talk with undesirables. If that's where you're at, I just want to challenge you this morning. God called us to seek and save the lost on his mission. Secondly, if you are in the world of like, I'm still exploring Christianity and Jesus, I would be remiss to not say this to you. Friend, find Jesus Christ as your Savior because he loves you that much. Nothing in this world is going to give you the love of God. In my middle 40s, I've come to the point that pretty much everything in life is meaningless. We read about that in Ecclesiastes. Power, money, big trucks are cool, but maybe someday. But everything is meaningless except for the Lord. Robin said it so well when she shared today. We are on mission with him. So if you are in the world of saying, I'm not sure about faith walk because maybe I've experienced some negative people, listen to the experience of Jesus Christ and the word of God then. He came for you. He came specifically to save broken people. So as a church family, I say this. We have two jobs. We this is our church family motto. We go reach lost people. We make disciples that make disciples. We take them and show them the way of God, equip and train and build them so that they can go and find more lost people because that is what Jesus came to do. We all hate losing stuff. It's a terrible, terrible thing. I wonder what it's like for God our Father to have children who are lost and how it grieves his heart. Maybe we're supposed to be part of that story. Maybe you are supposed to be part of the story to helping be on mission that Jesus gave us. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world. Visit us at mosaicwi.com.